Okay, so Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 26. Uh, we are in a series in the fruit of the Spirit where we are learning about all nine of these individual aspects of the fruit of the Spirit and seeing how our lives can be affected by it. What does it look like to follow Jesus in such a way? And what does it mean for you and me? Uh, this is what it says, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. There's nine qualities or attitudes or things that the Bible is saying that you need to grow in. Now, the problem with those nine things is that those nine things are all really, really good things. And when you compare those really awesome good things to you and I, there seems to be a tension. Because those things are really good. And to be honest, a lot of the time, we suck. Right? Me too. I'm right in there. Uh, I've told the story quite a few times, but this is the perfect timing for it. When I was in the sixth grade, I went to the ghettoest, ghettoest elementary school of all time. I was in an original elementary school, and they had to tear that one down because there was a prostitution ring around the school. So they were like, okay, let's move these guys. They moved us into an even ghettoer school. They didn't even have a swing set of all things. A swing set. We didn't even have that. They were like, hey, here's a stick. We're like, huh. Anyway, so as we're hanging out in the sixth grade, finally, after five years of torment, they get us a bloody swing set. This was like Disneyland has come to every single one of us. There was a lineup, like, like a swing set. This is so pathetic. This, our whole school is lining up to swing. Me and, all, me and all my boys are at the back of the line. We are the final people to get onto the swing set because our thought was, if there's nobody behind us, we can go as long as we want, right? So we're in the lineup, we're like chatting, talking about stuff. Oh man, Pokemon, so cool. Yeah, Power Ranger, whatever. And we're going, we finally get to the front of the line. Everybody else is gone, it's just us. At lunchtime, we're like, this is the best thing ever. We get onto the swings, and then what you realize, just like you've always realized, is swings are cool for like 13 seconds. And then you're like, why do we even do this, right? So me and my friends, we jump off and we're like, you know what's way cooler than the swings? The rocks that are underneath the swings. And so we started going like early car, uh, Call of Duty, grabbed all these rocks, just started hawking them at each other. And we're like, you know, we're dipping, we're diving, we're dodging, we're ducking, the whole thing just flailing at each other, moving out of the way, flailing at each other. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, our lunch supervisor comes up to us. Her name is Mrs. Goodfellow. She was not a good fellow. She walked up to us and she said, boys, stop it. And was so mad at us. We're like, what the heck, Mrs. Goodfellow? We're having a good time. Why do you want to be such a buzzkill? And she's like, you have to stop throwing these rocks at each other because you're going to do some damage, boys. Huh? She goes, one of those rocks, if it hits them in the head, they will die. <laughs> like, I'm in the sixth grade, and I was, a, I was an idiot, right? And I, something for me, I was like, it doesn't add up. So I, I want some clarification. Mrs. Goodfellow, you're saying to me, if I throw the rock and it hits them in the head, they will die. She goes, yes. So sixth grade me grabbed a little pebble and I threw it at her face. And it just hit her in the forehead and it bounced down. And then with perfect comedic timing, I said, you didn't die. It was amazing. It was, the greatest, it was the greatest thing in my life. And, uh, and she goes, well, now you're going to go to the principal's office. And I was like, ooh. 
And I was like, okay with that. And I'm like, principal's office, like, whatever. They got nothing on me. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's a prison. I'm just kidding. And so then, then all of a sudden, I, then the thought went through my mind. And I went, oh, shoot. If I go to the principal's office, the principal's going to call my mom. And my mom's some kind of an ethnic killer, right? She's going to murk me. Like, I got the belt when I was younger, and she chose, like, leather or the metal part. And then you were like, obviously the leather. And then she kind of tricked you into... Sorry, this is deep-rooted stuff. I don't know. I don't know what we're doing here. Anyways, Spanish parents, they know. Anyways, anyway, back to the story. I was a horrible kid. And uh, to be honest, we never really all grow out of that. We kind of just have these same tendencies over and over and over and over again that we just keep doing. It's the same stuff. It's like we're super greedy. We stay super greedy. Life is all about me. We talked about how selfish we all are, that even your conversations with other people are so selfish that every single time they talk about them, how do you counter? By talking about yourself. Oh, one time I went to Disneyland. Well, one time me and my friends went to Disneyland. It's like, it's like relax. Like you can have a conversation about another person for four seconds. You don't always have to bring it back to yourself. And you realize that most conversations are nothing but a war of egos. Right? We never grow out of these things. It's just, this is my thing. This is my thing. Or we have these tendencies like we talked about where we make these shrines of ourselves because we care about ourselves to the utmost. And just like how the old Egyptians or Middle Eastern people would make these sticks and they would put these rocks together and they would make shrines of their gods, you and I have done the exact same thing through our phones where all we've done is create altars for ourselves. We've created platforms. Like, it's so crazy. 40 years ago, if you told these people that we were going to create websites that were dedicated to us and we were going to manage them, that is crazy. And yet we do that and we live in that all the time. And then we ask ourselves, why are we so screwed up? Because honestly, too much of the time we think about ourselves and ourselves only. So when we look at ourselves compared to this list, we go, ah, there's something that's not jiving here. That's the whole point of why we're doing this series. Because when I look at this list and I look at all of these things, Man, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, none of those things are like I'm that 100% of the time. The other list of all the bad things, let's go with that one, okay? The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, what the? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of angers, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. All of those things, when we look at that list, we go, uh, we probably more fit in with that list than the other one. And that's the whole point. The whole point is you have been sold a bag of goods your whole life that says to you, if you just do more, if you just work harder, you will get ahead in life. You will get anything you want. If you just put the time in and you work hard, you will receive it. And what Paul is doing with these two lists is he's saying the exact opposite. He is saying you do not do this by effort. Look at the language, the works of the flesh, the bad part versus the fruits of the spirit. When you think of a garden, when you think of trees growing, it is not by efforts. It is not by working hard. It is not by willpower. It just does what it does. It grows at its own will. It is a gift, and every single one of those fruit is miraculous. This is not a factory where you keep pumping out a character over and over and over and over and over again. We're a product over and over and over again. There is something more to this. The way that uh, one of the writers writes about this idea, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, fruit 
is always the miraculous, the created. It is never the result of willing, but always a growth. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift of God, and only he can produce it. They who bear it know as little about it as the tree knows of its fruit. They know only the power of him on whom their life depends. And the very first thing that Paul wants to put out to us is that the most challenging, the most challenging of all of these attitudes has to be our idea of love. Love is our biggest thing. Because what we believe love to be is not what it is at all. The Bible says is the greatest love that you can know is one who gives their life for their friend. And you and I, what we think of love is you're on one side of the science lab. They're on the other side of the science lab. You have your beaker. They have a flask. You look over. You make eye contact and you go, wow, she's cute. Your heart flutters a bit. You get a bit sweaty. You flush with a little bit of redness and you say, this is love like I've never seen it before. And we buy into this. We buy into this emotional hype all the time where it's just you and I moving from one stimulation to the other. It's one experience, one feeling, and our whole life just begins to be, what can I feel next? What can I do next? I want the sensation of a thriller. I want the sensation and the fear of going on a roller coaster. I want the stimulation of having my heart beat when I see someone who likes me. It's winning the game. It's winning the video game. It's every single one of these emotions we just run to one after the other because every Everything that we have to do in life is all about what's happening around us, and we have no consistency. This is what this is challenging, that love is the very first thing in this list of nine because it is the core that follows into all the rest. Once you understand what true love is, the idea of love, that God himself who looked upon you with such a love that he punched a hole in the universe of the world and descended himself into it so he could save you. Once you understand that, it changes everything. Then the other eight things begin to follow back in place. Love is not, if we're honest, a sexual feeling. It's not. Love is not just this emotional hype that you have with someone. Because that's exactly what's gotten us into trouble. It's this idea of love that's so fleeting. It's so pointless. It's so meaningless. Love is not how you feel. If I'm in the grocery store and I love my wife devoted my life to her. If I'm in the grocery store, my wife has been sick for the last week. She has, you know, she's, she has like friggin' snot everywhere. Her hair's crazy. She has like Cheetos in them, like whatever. She's wearing sweatpants for like six days in a row. It's like, what's going on, right? And I go out to the grocery store and all of a sudden there's like this really cute, good-looking, attractive woman who's like eyeing me from the other side of the cereal aisle. My heart starts fluttering and I'm like, What is that? Is that the emotion you want me to fall into? Is that love? No, it's not. <laughs> and so in that instance, what happens is we begin to understand that there is more to this than just the emotion and the hype of the moment. And yet we get caught in it all the time. Love is not an emotion, love is not a feeling, love is not a circumstance, there is much more for you to understand than that. But if you understand love, 
then the natural progression for love is this idea of joy. Joy is the second thing. Now, we have a really hard time of differentiating joy from happiness. Happiness, once again, is a fleeting emotion. It's, it's, it comes and it goes. Happiness can be stolen and robbed from you in a moment. Uh, the difference between hap- happiness and joy is uh, happiness comes from the word hap. It's a Latin word, hap. That means chance. It's a random occurrence, which means that happiness is very much so associated with something that happens. The same thing. If something happens to you, Whatever your emotion is in that moment could probably get you happy. If your mom comes home and gives you a turtle, you're like, yeah, whatever. I don't know what your thing is. Like Cheetos and a bag of Skittles. I don't know. Like whatever it is that makes you happy. The circumstance is what keeps you going. But joy, joy is a much deeper thing. Joy is not at all about what feeling is. It's about what you know. Joy is not about what you feel It's about what you know. It's the thing that you keep going back to. That in times of trial, in times of issues, in times of problems, when joy is released, in those moments, it is the biggest combatant to every evil in the world. My wife and uh, her two sisters are incredible singers. They have that whole like sibling vocal thing where they like just harmonize and it sounds like 75 angels are like singing at you or whatever. And they have this thing where uh, they just sing at these like random moments because there's something deep in them that has to like release these songs. So uh, my wife's grandma has passed away last year and they're in the hospital and she is the funniest human being in the entire world, Leisha's grandma. She's so funny and like kind of weird, but she was super funny. Like uh, at our wedding, they were saying, uh, like, who, who thought I had a nice butt? And her grandma stood up. And we were like, oh, well, my gosh, that is inappropriate. <laughs> kind of funny. She was this, like, wild, inappropriate lady. She was not a Christian, and she would go to her, uh, her grandkids' friends, and she would try to kiss their friends. Like, what the heck's going on? This, like, old lady who was just, like, full of joy and was so random and so inappropriate and, like, whatever. And she's in this bed because she's, she's dying. And her whole family's rallied around her. Like, it is incredible. And they're all sitting there and they're watching her go. And it's like this weird, surreal moment. And then what begins to happen is the three sisters, they stand up and they begin to sing. They sing. Which doesn't at all seem like the reaction that you would do when someone is passing. It almost seems inappropriate if your life is built on happiness. Because this is not the circumstance for that emotion. But joy is a completely different thing. Because joy is not about what you feel, it's about what you know. And so for them, if they know that Christ came and died on their behalf, and that is what they know, and know it to the point where it is in the bottom of their heart all the time, then that that delight releases itself in all kinds of things. It's not dependent on whether you are feeling great, It's released because you are always anchored to the same truth all the time. And they sang. And they sang. And as they were singing, she passed away. And the nurses and all the people who weren't even family to them watched this whole thing and and couldn't get away from how beautiful and transcendent this experience was. They just couldn't understand 
And that's the point. Joy, to someone who doesn't have it, will not make sense. Joy is not an emotion. It is not a feeling as much as it is a conviction to the things that you understand. And if you know God loves you to bits, if you know God adores you with everything that you have, then that transcends every single circumstance. It changes you if you know that. And I know that. Three years old is when my dad took off. Three. I've never had a, a father in my life. My grandpa who lived in my house was a, a crazy alcoholic my whole life. I would go at times and I'd be at home as early as like seven and the police would drop him off at my door and they would say, well, we found him passed out at the SkyTrain station and I'd have to take my grandfather and put him into his bed and take his shoes off and make sure he was okay and, and give him water and give him some medicine and all these things. And this was my life where all these males who were above me were constant failures in my development. And I would see this. And so in the back of my mind, I would always say, love is never really something that will be afforded for me, but it will be for everybody else. Because you wouldn't want me. Nobody wants me. My, even, my dad didn't even want me. That's my story. That's what I'm living in. And I would live in the emotion and the feeling of all of these things all the time. And I would feel so crappy about myself when I was with my friends. They would go play catch with their dads in the back. Or they would go fix the car where they would mow the lawn, like these dumb, ridiculous things that like nobody wants to do. But I saw them doing them with their fathers and I was like, I, I only wish. So in the back of my mind, love is not a thing that's coming for me. Love is a thing for everybody else. Two guys decided to coach my volleyball team in high school. Two random dudes. And with them, I spent all of this time going around and, and uh, playing volleyball tournaments. And I was in their car. And at this point, like, I was just totally, like, not about Jesus. And they would listen to, like, this hardcore gangster rap music with me in, in their car. And I was like, these dudes are the best, right? And uh, they would go and they'd take me out of McDonald's and they'd get me some chicken nugs. And they'd talk about my dumb, you know, like, 10th, 9th grade problems, which is like, you're like, hey, I'm in the 9th grade. Sorry. And... Uh, and I'd have these dumb problems and like these silly things that I was worried about. And these guys like just kept hanging around, just kept hanging around. And then they brought me to church. And it was a really weird moment when they were like, hey, we want you to come to church. And in my mind, all the church history that I ever had, I was like, I do not like church at all. And as soon as they told me they were Christians, I said, ooh, man, I thought you guys were cool. That's literally what I said to them. They tricked me into coming to their church and I ended up going. I walk in, four seconds in, and these guys give me a Slurpee as soon as I walk in. I was like, this is the best place I've ever been. Where do I sign up? You know what I mean? And I walked in, and the amount of love and care and happiness that I saw around me was, was intoxicating. But then I left, and then it didn't really matter. I didn't really care. I felt good when I was there, but nothing ever changed. And then the pastor goes up and he tells a story about this dog. I remember it. And I use this story all the time. It's about this dog. And in the long story short, the end conclusion goes to the idea that God, when he says that the one sheep has gone away and that Jesus will go, the shepherd will go until he finds it, until he finds the one that was lost, 
There was something in that moment that changed everything for me. It was no longer fleeting emotion or happiness or how I felt. It was all about I have figured something out in my mind that is dug deep into my heart. And now everything is different. That one message, that one thing, that Christ gave everything up to have me, no longer became an emotion, no longer became an experience. I knew it. I believed in it. And joy erupted in my heart. Changed. Where love actually could get a hold of me. What does that look like for you? To not live in this state of the more unhappy I am, the more attention I will get. To not live in a state where it is cool to not seem okay. But to live with your life with such a deep pitted sense of delight and joy that everyone else around you is only left with asking questions. What does that look like for you? The last thing that I want to say on these three is peace. Peace is one of the most incredible words that we have in English. Paul, the guy who writes Galatians, uh, he wrote a majority of the New Testament, and uh, in all of his writings, and all of his letters, he starts them off the same way. And he starts them off with grace and peace to you, my brothers. Grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. He says at the intro of all of his letters, he says the exact same thing. Why would he say those two things? Grace and peace. The reason why he would say those two words is because grace is the greatest of introductions. Grace is the greatest of beginnings. And in fact, with you and I, our relationship with Jesus, the first thing that we are interacting with, with him, is grace. Is that God would send his own son to die on a cross on your behalf so that you could rise in victory with him and you could be found hidden in Christ so that he could be sin and you could be righteous. Grace is what you were afforded, even though you did not deserve it or earn it, because at some part you were so wretched and broken on the inside, God looked at you and said, I want you anyways. That's the emotion you have going on. And he gave you grace, undeserved favor, the thing that you could not and will not ever earn. He afforded it to you. It's the greatest of beginnings, grace. And then he says, peace. And peace is the ultimate of endings. Peace, biblically, is always going to be the goal. In the Old Testament, the word was shalom. If you meet a, a Jewish guy now or, or if you go to Israel or any of these places, they always introduce themselves and they say their goodbyes with the same word. Shalom, peace be to you. And not a peace of, uh, when we think peace, it's like uh, your sibling comes into your room and uh, they're like, Ma, where's my iron? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, not an iron because no one, who's irons? Uh, I go into the room and uh, they're like, where's my, I don't know, mascara or something. I don't know. And you're like, get the heck out of here. I'll kick you in the face. Like whatever. And you get so annoyed of them and they leave. And as soon as they leave the room, you're like, ah, oh, you feel at peace. Right? Oh, there was an obstacle, and the obstacle is now gone. Now I feel at peace. Um, there's, a, there's this one uh, meme that I saw on Instagram, and I sent it to my wife, and it's like when you're trying to relax, and your mom tells you to do something, and it's like this camel, like, like whatever. I feel like that's like the meme of my life. And, um, and I feel like that. That's what we feel peace is. 
It's when an obstacle is taken away and we get to just do the neutral thing that we wanted to do from the start. That's not peace. Peace is not the absence of something. When I was little, I tell the story a lot, uh, my cousins locked me into a room and forced me to watch Chucky. And uh, after they watched me to watch Chucky, I like was crazy. I was like neurotic in my mind for like years on years on years because I was so scared of this stupid thing and I was so scared of the dark. One night, it got so overwhelming, I was freaking out. It was like 3, 4 a.m. I couldn't go to bed and I was really young and I was just like crying, 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 crying. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, and I don't know why I did this, but I prayed. And after I prayed, it was the weirdest kind of like, never happened since, whatever. It was just like a weird one thing. But in that moment, what happened to me is I felt something that was like, it was like the ultimate protection. I felt like no matter that, no matter what happened in that room or whatever I was afraid of, I was going to be okay. Peace is not the absence of something. It is the presence of something that is completely for your well-being and your goodness. That's what peace is. That's what shalom is. It is not let's get the annoying things away. It's let's get the most amazing things near. Peace. It's crazy. Then we look at this room. I go the number one thing, the number one thing that I wish for all of you to have is peace not crippling anxiety, not the worry that strangles your life around, not the cloud that hovers over you. It's the looming questions, the depression, the things that are going on all the time, but peace. And maybe we have to think about it differently. Maybe it's not God, take this thing away from me, which is I think at times what we like to do. God, take this from me. Make this thing absent from me. Instead, I think the perspective should be God, not only do I want you to take this from me, but give me more of yourself. Allow me to be more in your presence. Brother Lawrence is an old dead guy. He said, if there was one thing I could preach over and over and over again, is the practice of the presence of God. God in himself is the shalom that you are needing. So where do you fit in this? How much do you love? How does joy work in your heart? What does peace look like for you? And the question isn't so much. If that you're super bad in all of those things, you should go, oh man, I suck, I'm the worst, whatever. No, to be honest, we all suck and we are all the worst. But the beauty of what God does in our life is the grace that he offers us overwhelms and corrects all of the detours we've ever made. So where are you at? What can you do? How do you grow? Yes, as a high school student in your school with all the pressures and all the things going around you, how do you do this? I would say don't just ask God to take things away. I would say, God, what does it look like for you to become near? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the time that we have together on these uh, Tuesdays, that as we sit here and we listen and learn about the fruit of the Spirit, that all of these qualities 
and even today, just love, joy, and peace, that the things that we learn about these are things that really sink into our heart, that the message of this begins to be something that we look after. It's like a goal for us that we look at this and go, man, I really want to love people better. I really want to change the world with this one thing, just love, just overwhelming love that comes out of who we are. Just the joy, a deep-seated, consistent, regardless of what's going on, delight that I have in my life and a peace, and a peace that's not just about what is absent, but it's about what is present. It is about what has come near. It's about what is changing my life and the, the easiness of it. It's not the hurry. It's not the work. It's not the pain. It's not the stress. It's not the anxiety. It's not the distress of life, that none of those things are evident with me, that the thing that gives me away, the thing that everybody sees when they see me, is not the worry of a human being, but the peace of a God who loves me so much. It's not a feeling, but it's about what you know. And I pray that that knowledge digs deep into our heart and we allow that to change our life. So Father, we thank you. We love you. Just want to pray. Amen.